0: On today's episode of Woke Fu, I spoke with Ashley Jones, a youth behavioral specialist at a residential treatment facility, author of I Work with Fucking Monsters, and a longtime reader of the Lack community. Our discussion covered everything from the emotional baggage of social work and clients who call in the middle of the night to the lack of diversity within the social work industry. Pull up a chair, light a joint, and let's go down this rabbit hole together. Welcome to the Woke Fu Podcast a conversation about the hidden strings that shape our culture, politics, and our identities. I'm your host, Rudyard Winning. So what led you to a career in social work? Was it, you know, was there a moment in your upbringing where you're like okay this is what i want to pursue or did this happen sort of later on in your education
1: honestly i was not planning for social work at all i Mm -hmm. am a criminal justice major i was going for law i'm still going for law but it was just really kind of what was around me i had gotten a job interview like a couple weeks before graduation and it was to work at a residential for juveniles, so it was a form of social work. But you know, it was just kind of like, all right, I need a job. I'm getting out of college, and I need an income. So it just mm-hmm. pretty much fell in my lap from there.
0: And so you were you weren't initially looking for that. That was just sort of the opportunity that was there. Exactly. Interesting. And uh, comparing the expectations that you had going into it. Um, What was it like on the other side when Sue actually started working?
1: Honestly, seeing how it is now compared to not being in it before, it's an eye opener. You don't necessarily see the same things that someone in social service does. You don't appreciate the things that they do because I personally was never really exposed to social work. I just knew, one, it's not a pay field that will get you, you know, fancy cars, expensive things that you want, to travel, to do stuff like that. Like I've always known it to be unappreciative work.
0: And you mentioning about unappreciated work, um, like, can you give me an example of something that seems simple on the outside but on your end was just so much more intricate and complex?
1: So I don't work in the same uh, field I was working in when I graduated. Hmm. I am now um, a provider So that is pretty much the middleman between like a CYS, which is Children and Youth Services. So I get to deal with all of the resources in the community. I get to deal with attitudes because, you know, parents don't like feeling like someone's trying to tell them how to parent. So I get Mm -hmm. to deal with explaining, um, you know, you need to make sure your child's on a structured schedule. You need to make sure that, you know, you're not smoking weed while you're pregnant. So it's kind of like you're dealing with other people's issues that aren't necessarily your issues and you take those issues home sometimes. So it's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have thought seeing from my end before.
0: Mm, and you you bring up this idea of like taking these issues home. Um, mm-hmm. Is there, a, are there certain topics or issues that you feel like, okay, I can be a little bit more detached, and that's sort of that's what's going on in my client's life versus certain things that are more, ooh, that hits close to home. Like it it, it sort of sticks with you a little bit longer.
1: Like honestly, I think the thing that's more frustrating for me is the lack of resources in the community. Like I have clients who you know need to get a job, but they have a criminal record, so you know, housing is an issue, we need to get a house, but in order to get a house, you need to find a job. And if you can't find a job, and you can't support your kids, the, you know, The social service agencies are going to tell you, hey, well, you can't parent because obviously you can't maintain your own life. So it's a struggle when, you know, you're telling someone just keep trying, you know, there's stuff out there, you know, I have resources, let's, you know, try and do this application. And then, you know, going home at the end of the night is just like, okay, well, I have nothing new to give you tomorrow when we meet. So it's just, you know, it's frustrating and it's sad. It's sad. It really is.
0: So in, in talking about this sort of uh, experience where you feel like you're running into a wall of just not enough resources, um, what would you say is like the most common issue that you see going on, at least within your clients? And what would you say is the particular thing that would, that, that you need more than anything else? Like, is it, Is it more people on your staff to help out? Is it more money for this or that? Like, what would you say is the one thing that has been the thing that you just can't get get enough of in terms of helping your clients?
1: Honestly, diversity. We need more diversity in social services. I work for a predominantly um, minority company, and it's completely different compared to seeing, say, like a county worker who... Everybody's white. Everybody grew up in the suburbs. They don't understand the same cultural differences as, you know, a parent who is black and who disciplines differently compared to what the curriculum tells them to parent. So honestly, I think what we need in the social services are more people of color because then you have that connection with a client who, okay, wow, you're black. Awesome. I was expecting someone who was white and who was going to tell me that, you know, I am not parenting appropriately or I am too hostile. When I talk to the County worker, I want someone who can understand that, you know, there are differences and, you know, you're not being hostile. It's just how you're talking or how you were raised or how, you know, just your personality in general, because it's, I work I work in a very high populated Hispanic environment and majority of the people in social services are white.
0: Um, yeah. So when when discussing the importance that diversity plays in terms of like understanding that, you know this person isn't Having an attitude or this person isn't mm. you know acting in sort of the manner that you're trying to depict them as. Um, mm. It's funny because it, it sort of reminds me of um, you know drawing up in my family and how a lot of Filipino families talk very loud and very animated and sometimes people can misinterpret that as like oh there's just like aggression or someone's kind of yeah. having some sort of attitude. Um, what do you think is preventing the industry from being more diversified. It seems like there are lots of uh, people of color who want to get into social work, but why yeah. is it that on the opposite end, the people who end up getting hired are predominantly white?
1: Honestly, my county's kind of biased. Um, it's the same with education. We're a highly populated minority environment, but the teachers in the school district are white too. So it could be hiring policies. It could be, you know, they're not necessarily encouraging people of color to stay. They're not encouraging, you know, people to want to apply because one, it's unpredictable. Two, the appreciation is terrible. The pay is not good. Um, I was working at another agency and I was getting, basically getting my ass beat at, at work for like 12 bucks an hour and it's just it, it sucks it does it sucks and you know the burnout rate is very high people would much rather do something for less work and more pay it's just an exhausting field and sometimes if you grow up with social services in your life you know you don't want to participate in that system you want to get out of it you want to completely get away from that you know that that culture so there's a lot of reasons why but working in my agency we all come from different backgrounds um dominican puerto rican mexican black um we have a few white white co-workers and it's just like you know my job is amazing um my boss relates to us my boss is a minority my boss encourages us to you know do our best that we can with the resources that we have so i think honestly it may be a boss thing too
0: Yeah. So so do you have some sort of um, any examples or experiences where something happened that could have been solved had there been a you know uh, a social worker who was more in tune with that person's culture or in tune with um, what that person was going through?
1: Honestly it it really depends. I've had a lot of issues with, you know, county workers not like stepping in and preventing something. Um, we uh, we have uh, this thing that happened a couple a couple months ago. There was a trial, and uh, this little girl had uh, been removed from her house and put into foster care, um, and her foster parent, you know, they were ready to adopt her. And the judge on the case, because it was court ordered, had removed the child from foster care and placed her back with her family. Foster uh, has just kind of stepped back. And the mom and the dad ended up uh, sexually assaulting and murdering the little girl. Um, Yeah, it it was big. Uh, I forget her name, but her name, I think, was Grace. And uh, the county right now is a little under fire for that. So it's it's a lot. Social services, you know, can step in and change a lot of things or, you know, they can prevent a lot of things or they can at least, you know, bring attention to things. I had one of my first cases, this little boy, uh, it was physical abuse. And, you know, the dad just didn't understand that he's six years old, you shouldn't be punching him in the chest because, you know, he doesn't like doing his homework the way you want him to do it. And... You know, just being there and telling him, hey, this is not okay. We're going to work on parenting. You need to do better. It resulted in the kid just being removed from the home because I'm documenting the concerns. I am communicating the things that he should be doing, but he's not doing. I'm, com- I'm communicating, you know, appropriate discipline methods, but he's continuously doing the same things. And eventually, you know, the county stepped in and the child was removed so it's a lot like social workers you know can be that one voice where you know they don't have one you know especially in schools you have kids who you know have rough home lives and they don't have someone to talk to i have clients who text me in the middle of the night just venting i have clients who you know sometimes kind of blur my boundaries and think that you know we're friends we're, we're not friends But, you know, I am your advocate. I am here to, you know, help you and assist you and try to make you the best version of yourself that you can be. But I'm not your friend. So it's just, you know, having to keep your boundaries and just explain that. But a lot of people just want someone to listen to them. And I think that's what social work does. It gives somebody a voice.
0: It's interesting that you talk about this um, notion of, like, I'm your advocate, I'm not your friend, Um, Mm -hmm. and and stressing the importance of boundaries, how do you feel some of the clients uh, try to lean into this, like, oh, you're my friend kind of a thing? How do you think that they sort of try to exploit that from you? And um, was there a particular experience where you realized, okay, like, you know, I really need to take this stance, I really need to set these boundaries?
1: Oh, I have it all the time. Like I do. um, I do. I teach parenting. I do supervised visits. I do generalized casework. And some clients kind of take advantage. I'm not a taxi. They'll call me and say, hey, um, I want to go to the grocery store, but I don't want to take the bus. And it's like, hey, um, I'm sorry, short notice. I have other clients scheduled. You know, If you want to go do grocery shopping, let's You know, schedule for this. Let's plan a day for this because, you know, I want you to be able to have food in the house for the kids and for yourself, but I want you to also be self-sufficient. So, you know, it's always important to keep your boundaries, but sometimes with some clients it's like, okay, you, you know, you're getting, you're, you're struggling right now and you want to go to rehab. Okay. Where are you right now? Let me meet you. Can you come to my office? Let's call around and look for a bed that you can get into someplace. So it it really depends on the client. Like I have some really, really, really needy clients. And then I have some really, you know, top notch clients where they don't need me for anything. It's just like a check-in like, Hey, Ashley, I did X, Y, and Z this week, you know, let's schedule so we can meet. And then I'll complete the next thing that you want me to do. So it really depends. Sometimes you have clients who you know, you have to basically parent and handhold. And then some clients are just like super independent and don't need you. Mm-hmm. I like those clients, but you know, it makes my job a little easier because nobody likes CYS in their life. And if I can close you out fast, I like that because I know that you won't open in a couple weeks. You'll be closed and, you know, you'll figure things out and you'll do what you need to do to make sure you don't get open again.
0: So there's, but... Yeah, I, I can definitely tell that there's just so much going on in terms of um, the relationship between the social worker and the client, um, but I, I, I can sense that there's also this um, sandwiched factor where there's also that pressure that you're getting from management. How do they evaluate your performance Um and I guess you're also mentioning about this whole open and closing thing. Can you explain a little mm-hmm. bit about that and sort of tie that into how they sort of evaluate you?
1: Okay, so how I'm in place is we have the county worker. She or he is the person who opens the case when there's issues of uh, neglect, abuse, or whatever's in that that realm. What they'll do is they'll put a referral to my agency, which is a provider agency. So I am the middleman between the county worker and the family. What I do is I complete the goals and try to alleviate the concerns that are seen by the county worker. And sometimes the county worker will see concerns that I don't see. And the county worker only really meets with the family once a month, where I work with the family weekly, multiple times a week. So sometimes we do have a disconnect and then sometimes, you know, they're not understanding where I'm coming from. So it is kind of frustrating because they are the ones who fund my services. And if they don't like how something's going, all they have to do is yank the case from my agency. And it's happened a couple of times with a couple of workers and just, you know, the biasness with the County because the County, you know, they have their own idea of what the family should be doing. And if the county worker doesn't like the family, they can go you know, do what they want. So having to be that advocate and saying, hey, no, I don't see these concerns, or hey, I see these concerns, we should do X, Y, and Z. And if the county worker doesn't want to work harder, or if the county worker you know, doesn't understand that we've done everything, there's nothing more I can do, this case doesn't need to be open anymore, I feel like, you know, mom or dad can manage everything. The county worker can keep it open as long as they choose. So it's kind of like, you know, I don't really have the control in that aspect, but it can be a little powerlessness. Yeah. yeah.
0: Do, do you, if, if you could say, if you could change anything about this whole system uh in particular, the, the line of work that you do. Um, mm-hmm. Like, do you think that, that to, to sort of boost efficiency, like, is there a certain policy that needs to be advocated for? Is there certain um, changes that need to be made that you think would allow you to help the people that need to be helped without sort of all these complications going on? Like, wh- what do you think it, are, are sort of the main strings that need to be
1: pulled? I think the main things that need to be like focused on are mental health, um, substance abuse, uh, education, even just like sexual health, Um, teaching people that, Hey, you know, you are responsible for this person. You are the parent, you know, if you, if you are struggling, it is okay to ask for help. I think even just encouraging people to seek out resources and not be afraid that, you know, you're a bad person or you're a bad parent or you don't know what you're doing because you're asking for help. I think if we emphasize on teaching people, you know, that mental health is important. I have a lot of clients who have mental health in their history and it's been untreated. um, And it's a generational thing. Uh, If your parents have mental health that wasn't treated and they didn't teach you the importance of mental health, you're not going to know the same, you're you're basically going to have the same philosophy and it's just going to carry on. And then sometimes that mental health can come, can play into your parenting. It can play into substance abuse. It can play into all of that. So I think if we start focusing on those major areas, things could be a lot better and a lot different.
0: Uh, I, I just want to sort of press you a little bit more on this. Um, mm-hmm. You're talking about um, education and, and, and mental health education. Um, how do you see that panning out? Like, realistically, like do you think it should be a matter of, okay, we need to implement, um, you know, courses as early as elementary school to teach about mental health, or we need to set up programs in major cities that are next to the post office, like whatever, like are are there certain solutions that are being talked about within the industry? Are there certain things that um, you and your teams have have talked about that like, oh man, like I wish this would have happened?
1: Right. Honestly, definitely mental health is important. Um, Our hands are kind of tied with that because if there is an issue for mental health, we can say, hey, look, you know, we recommend that you go do counseling. We can't force them to do it. Same thing with substance abuse treatment. Um, I know in my county, we have people go through what's called TASC. Um, It's a a screening agency that will take urine samples for people given with a referral, either through Children and Youth Services or through like probation and parole. And they have to call in every day. And they're given a number. If that number is called that day, they go in and provide a sample. That sample costs $5. And that's a week. I have clients who can't afford that. So, it was a big issue of, you know, my clients can't go in and, you know, provide a sample. So, if you miss a calling, it comes up in the sam- it comes up in their system and they label it as a positive screening. So, say we go to court and you have a substance abuse history and you haven't been going to your urine screens for 2 months because you lost your job and you can't pay $5 a week to go get that screen. And the only thing that they provide in court is mom tested positive for these weeks. Mom may not have been using, but it's still, she's still guilty in, in, in the sense of the documents. So simply
0: because she couldn't pay.
1: mm -hmm. Yeah. So my agency started what's called dice. Um, We provide urine screens for free all hours of the day. So, if the county worker wants this case to be, you know, a drug and alcohol based with casework, uh, they just have to send the referral and we can screen them after hours. We can screen them on holidays. We can screen them on weekends. And honestly, working with a population in a very poor city, it makes it so much of a difference. Like I've had clients where, you know, before our program started, I would give them $5. Hey, I'm picking you up. We're gonna go get this urine screen. And I'll wait outside, give them the $5, they'll go in, screen and come back. Because you know, you're setting someone else up for failure if you know their situation and you're not giving them any kind of assistance to get to where they need to be. So it, it sucks. It does. It sucks.
0: Like this this screening process and, and the fact that they put up this paywall, this five dollar paywall mm-hmm. to to you know, and then they're not even they're not even allowing the option for the records to say, Oh, you know, did not take because, you know, client could not afford, like there is no third option. It's either you pass or you fail. Do you you think, I mean, from an outsider looking in, like it seems like that is essentially just set up as an incentive for profit at that point, like where. It
1: basically is. It basically is. And it's just like, you know, you, you, you know, they don't have a job or a place to live and, you're setting them up for screens weekly and they can't even afford bus fare. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's a process. It's a thick, sick process. So I try to tell my clients, Hey, you know, just if you are struggling, let me know and I can try and find something. And then just being in a system where everybody needs something and our resources are so limited. It's, you're just like kind of chasing yourself in a circle.
0: Um, two, two more questions. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how much do you think it costs in, in the area that your clients live? How much do you think the cost of living is versus how much do you think, um, they're actually making slash they're receiving in benefits?
1: okay. So I live in Reading, uh, and we were listed, we're continuously listed as one of the poorest cities in America. So you know, our price of living is, it's it's not super high, but we don't necessarily really have a job market. Um, you can buy a house here for like 35000 That's like the average. And, you know, our streets suck. <laughs> our roads are terrible. Um, we have small businesses, but they're not necessarily flourishing. We have factory work here, but it's pretty much you either work at the like sweet streets factory, or you work at like a staffing agency. So honestly, we don't have wealthy people here and you know, it's just, it's, it's a smaller city. We're like, we've always been compared to like a a smaller Philadelphia, but a poorer Philadelphia. Does that make sense?
0: And in, in terms of, um, the types of jobs that your clients have or the types of, you know, like their living situations, like how much do you think on average, a lot of them have a month to live off?
1: Well, everybody's on welfare. Mm -hmm. Everybody uh, uses WIC. Uh, Everybody has some sort of assistance from some agency. Uh, We have the Salvation Army who does provide some housing resources. Um, When we get, a list of housing agencies opening, it's like it's like Christmas. And they open maybe three times a year. So they close maybe maybe about 10 days after they open. And basically let's say I have a caseload of like 25. 20 of my people are pretty much on some sort of housing assistance. So we're we're broke here. We're broke. So it's just, you know, there's a need. We need finances. We need resources. We need, we need a lot. We need a lot here. Uh,
0: my, my last question for you, uh, sort of tying in everything, all your experience that you've, that you've had. Um, and also, I, I didn't get to ask him, how long have you been doing this? How many years?
1: Okay, so when I was working at the residential, I was there for about a year. But getting into this job, It'll be four years in March.
0: So within the five plus years that you've um, been doing this type of work, do you find social work to be meaningful and do you have plans to stay?
1: It can be meaningful depending on the situation. Um, The other day, Wednesday, I got a call from a client who her 15-year-old son punched her in the face and she called the cops. So I went to the house, tried to deescalate that situation. The cops were already there. And, you know, the kid finally broke down and had like, had an emotion after like working with him for like a couple weeks. And, you know, I was just like, okay, well, we got to this point because this situation, but knowing that I'm helping somebody who's never really had a voice on another spectrum, like I had a client, um, this little boy, the little boy whose dad was punching him because he was six and not doing homework the way his dad wanted it. He got adopted and he was the happiest little boy with his adoption family. And it just kinda, you know, that's the the good stuff I look for. Just knowing that I help someone, whether it be, you know, the child is with their family and they're happy or they're out of a bad situation and they're happy. It's just, as long as somebody's okay, that's what makes it <clears throat> As long so, as I can do something.
0: So having to, like, wade through all of that shit is worth it, is, so long as you know that that at the end there is at least some sort of resolution that they'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, actually, thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there... You know, anything that you're working on, anything that you like to promote or plug before I uh, uh, pass it off? Well, now that
1: you ask, I actually wrote a book <laughs> about my social work. <laughs> oh my God! Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is when I was working at a, a residential, and um, it was not the fun part of social work. So I titled it, I Work with Fucking Monsters. It's available on Amazon. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, so that I'm was. so glad that you joined. <laughs> uh, we'll have to, we'll have, to uh, have you do a reading of that and, 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 and yeah it's great but your experiences um again thank you so Ashley, um so much actually thank you All right, thank you